0: 90% of fans can't name more than five of their favorite team sponsors. So sponsors are paying millions of dollars in some cases, and fans do not know who they are.
1: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to a brand new edition of Social Confos. Wherever you are in the world, thank you for tuning in once again. And yes, I'm doing it a little bit different today, Diego, because I'm also streaming to my YouTube channel. And I'll I'll be explaining why, why I'm also streaming to my YouTube channel as well. But for now, can we do a quick introduction of our guest?
2: Yeah, definitely. I've been looking forward to this conversation. I've actually met Shannon last year during the YLI conference, also a YLI alumni, but she's really fun. But just a little quick background on Shannon. So she's currently leading, she's a female founder of a tech startup, award-winning tech startup called Fancy. And she has experience in marketing and sponsorship, so right up your alley as well. And she also has TV and podcast experience. So basically, this is nothing new to her. So I'm excited to talk more about her and her experience as a female founder. Basically, especially in sports tech, that's not a industry that you kind of see that often. So curious to learn more about it and also her experience with YLAI and basically what her experience was in the Bahamas because I saw those photos Shannon Shannon welcome Welcome to to the Confos
0: (laughs) hi guys so happy to be here
1: Diego it's gonna be a little bit different there's gonna be some more comments than usual so quick shout out to, to the people that are tuning in and yes you're allowed to ask your questions in Dutch I'll translate them for Shannon it's fine but the reason why we're actually going live on YouTube on my YouTube channel as well is because there's a pretty big sports community in Suriname as well. I mean, Who we will be interested in, okay, so what's sports tech about? Like that's something that for us in Suriname, we're we're making fun that recently we had our first video assistance referee, which was basically somebody calling in to say that during the live broadcast on television, they noticed that there was a mistake in the in the in the refereeing and they were actually able to use somebody calling in. To the league office as a reason to review a certain situation on the field which is interesting but i think sports tech is kind of broad so before we dive into like what kind of sports tech are we talking about maybe it's a little fun to talk about your own sports background because you used to play sports as well or do you still play sports shannon
0: Yeah, for sure. So growing up in Canada, I'm pretty much typical Canadian. I grew up playing competitive hockey, played for a long time, got scouted to play in university and then kind of with an injury decided to take a step back. I've definitely played since then, not as much as at the competitive level. I also grew up playing soccer, softball, golfing as well. So definitely have always been an athlete. And then, you know, Started my career in, in sports marketing at back about almost a decade ago. So yeah, it's it's no, as I guess to people, that I, I co-founded a sports tech startup because sports have always been a big part of my life.
1: So quickly to understand, is, is the Canadian system when it comes to high school, graduate and, and college and university, is it similar? Does it also revolve around getting how do you call it? Not sponsorships, but help me out with a word
2: here. Scholarships.
1: Scholarships. Is it also the idea that you get scholarships to get into certain universities? And how? what is is the biggest difference between Canada and the US when it comes to these kind of sports scholarships?
0: Yeah, definitely the US is where you want to go if you're looking for a sports scholarship. That's, you know, up in Canada, I remember a, a bunch of us, you know, you have to take your SATs, you have to really, you know, put in that effort I got scouted to play for a Canadian university so it didn't include a scholarship it was just basically the opportunity to to play and then I actually chose to go to a different school so yeah in I mean in Canada we have universities and colleges and definitely not I mean I there's probably scholarships more for like the education like the like your GPA and stuff like that. Sports scholarships definitely a different kind of model than the US, which is where a lot of people do go if they want to get that kind of free ride or half free ride <laughs> down in the States. Good.
1: Okay. And then the last question before we go into the to the actual episode, Canada made it to the World Cup. You said you've you've played soccer. So how how much has the interest for, for soccer changed over the past years with the Canadian men's team really coming up as like one of the better teams, actually one of the better national teams in, in the whole CONCACAF region.
0: Yeah, I mean, soccer definitely in Canada, like is it's growing. It, it's never like been as big, obviously, as it is in Europe or different, different other, like other different regions. But even like the women's team, like Sinclair, She's been such like a beacon of hope. The girl that I played hockey with, she back, back like years ago was actually on the, the Canadian Olympic team, the soccer team. So there's definitely like soccer isn't the national sport, but most kids grow up playing soccer in Canada. Most kids, you know, like soccer is there. And yeah, it's definitely with the team. The men and women's teams both doing so well. There's, there's more of a backing, more of a passion in Canada, any sports teams. We are super patriotic around sports. We love when our athletes win and we, we follow them. Even like tennis, we have some, we had some Canadians playing tennis currently. Yeah. Just sports in Canada. If you're, you have your finger on the pulse, you're definitely cheering on your Canadian athletes at any chance you get.
2: Definitely, and when I think Canada, I think hockey. So that that's one of the you know the the, the staples there. And you told me before the episode started it's minus forty degrees. So how is it with all these different outdoorsy sports? Is it like soccer seasonal, or is it you have these indoor heated stadiums that people practice in? Like how is that? layout wise
0: yeah there's definitely different seasons for different sports but the really cool thing I I guess about Canada so obviously hockey you play in the winter but there's tons of summer hockey too and then for soccer like obviously you play that in the summer outdoors but there's tons of communities that have indoor soccer domes and different indoor soccer opportunities so really in Canada you can play sports all year round kind of obviously the seasons that you play with your actual in your league or in your with your team they are you know winter spring summer fall but yeah i mean even in the community i live in there's outdoor soccer in the summer indoor soccer in the in the winter fortunately i think we're done with the minus 40 i hope 40 degree minus 40 celsius but yeah in the winter it gets really cold the really cool thing about canada like my co-founder, Chris, and I, we live on a river. So in the winter, we turn that river into a big skating rink. And we can play hockey, you know, anytime we want. We like walk out our door, jump on the ice with our skates. And that's like the Canadian dream, you, right? So
2: Using this season <laughs> to your advantage. <laughs> it's
0: like a lunch break. You can take your lunch break and and go for a skate and play hockey, have your friends over. So very, very typically Canadian in that sense.
2: Okay. Last thing about the geography. How is the competitive dynamic between the East Coast and the West Coast of Canada? Because I know there's quite a different in culture there and Yeah,
0: I definitely I mean, I don't know I wouldn't really say it would be competitive. Definitely different culture, different kind of attitudes. Maybe I know the West Coast is coast is more known to be more like laissez-faire and more chill and then the East Coast. Like Montreal and, and Toronto is more go, go, go faster, faster. West coast is more like outdoorsy and, you know, mountains and, and hiking and stuff like that. But I think Canada is so big. And it's so funny because a lot of people you tell them you're from Canada. They're like, Oh, do you know? It's like so and so your cousin. And we're like, well, we're not all related. It's a very big (laughs) country. So I think at the end of the day, everyone who's Canadian is very patriotic about being Canadian. And I don't really see too much of a competitiveness, but just maybe a difference in attitudes and kind of like Mm -hmm. lifestyle or like work the way they get things done and work.
2: And being from the East Coast, is that, is there any, because you had background in marketing, you've done TV shows, podcasts basically different forms of multimedia, some sports related, others not. And now you've basically started your own company as well. Like when did that transition happen from, you know, just marketing and seeing like, hmm, I'm going to be a founder and start my own company. And specifically, I love sports, a tech startup.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, so I'm originally from Montreal and then I grew uh, about an hour away, which is in between Ottawa and Montreal. Um, And then You know, my life led me back to Montreal, working again for an online sports book and sports marketing. Then I was out in Calgary doing marketing and then I was back in Toronto. So life took me all over the place. And then the really like pivotal moment, I guess, was in 2015, my mom actually passed away and I'm an only child. She was a single mom. So I really had to rely on my like family and community back home. So I moved back from Toronto to my, my like small town and it's called Cornwall. And I, I really, I grieved a lot. Like I, I really went through a very hard time and being back in my hometown, there weren't really, when I decided I needed to go back to work, there weren't really marketing opportunities, marketing jobs that I that I could really see myself in. So I ended up starting my own marketing and events business because my mom was an entrepreneur. And I kind of felt it was really my calling to start my own business. So that was my first business. And then that was back in 2016. And one of my clients became a new minor professional hockey team that came to town. And, you know, I was Kind of helping them out. Didn't, I was still grieving, still dealing with a lot of other things outside of that. And then one day, one of the games, one of the players who I didn't even know, he broke his finger in a hockey fight. It happens to be that he's Chris. Chris is my co-founder and life partner at this point. At that point, I had no clue who he was, broke his finger. He had front office experience. So they brought him in to be the sales and marketing director. We kind of just, our minds melded right off the bat. We took over all of the marketing, all of the sponsorship, all of the sales for the team. And, you know, it was the the summer of 2017. We were both selling sponsorship and working on commission. And we kept running into this problem where local businesses kept, you know, they were like, we don't just want a scoreboard ad. We don't just want a wall sign. We don't just want a logo on a jersey. Do you have anything more? Do you have anything that's digital? Do you have anything that actually will Bring people in through our doors and have them spend money. And lastly, do you have anything that's going to track customer analytics and demographics? Because paper coupons don't do that. Paper coupons in the back of the game day program don't track who's, who, who's coming through your doors. So we didn't have anything like that. We couldn't find anything that existed. And that's kind of where the idea for fan saves came. You know, we thought, let's start an app for the team. It started as an app for the team. We validate it that way and then just continue to grow. And now we're, we're a full blown platform. We have a mobile app, but also a progressive web app. So yeah, it kind of just all fell into place and, you know, a lot of things had to go wrong for, for it to go right.
1: So it's, so it's, it's, it. it's interesting that you mentioned like the transition from coupons and like, like physical coupons to like the digital version.
2: We're not going down yet, so it. No, no. I,
1: I wanna, I wanna, I do wanna talk about this. If you want to ask other question first, go ahead. But I wanna know how that transition was because that seems like something that must have been a very, very tiring process. But no, Diego, go. let's, let's, let's ask your question.
2: <laughs> no, I, 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 I was curious, like. You have a background in marketing because basically you guys are starting a tech startup. Chris, did you guys have any tech experience? So like, I- I'm curious to know how you build that gap being a tech startup as to, you know, just sport loving marketers.
0: Yeah, that. so we are two non-technical co-founders. I myself have probably a little bit more of a technical background, but not coding or anything like that. When I had my marketing business, you know, I'd build websites and, and stuff like that. And even that first like version of the app that was like not even an MVP, I was able to kind of build that out. But again, we're both non-technical co-founders. So early on, we did make a lot of mistakes. We, we often say we had to fail forward. We had to trust. We trusted and worked with the wrong people. We had, you know, all of our developers were local or or Canadian, but we had to learn, learn as we w- as we went. And, you know, super proud now we it took four developers to get to the developer we have now. The development team is amazing. We've had them for about three and a half years. I have learned so much from them. I do, you know, the product management with them. And, you know, again, I'm not I'm still not a technical co-founder, but I definitely feel like I've learned so much. And. I definitely understand the ropes much more than I did to start. But really, at the beginning, it was throwing spaghetti at the wall and, and hoping that something would stick.
2: One more thing before I hand it over to Shen. Like, what does it mean to be a founder in, in for you? Like, And do you distinguish a founder from an entrepreneur and a business owner?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think... I, I would say like, you know, I identify as a, a founder, a co-founder, but I think an entrepreneur is, I'm also an entrepreneur. So I would say, you know, definitely there's a difference between a startup and a small business. Whereas a small business is usually, you know, a local business. They're, you know, looking to make, make their sales back and grow kind of on a steady, steady pace. Whereas a startup, You're looking to take on like investment, a lot of debt at the beginning and looking for that hockey stick to uh, hopefully one day become a unicorn or get acquired. So there is that, you know, difference between it. And the funny thing is, because I had a small business before, when we started FanSaves, I didn't even know what a startup was. We were about six months in when I was like doing some reading and I said to Chris, I'm like, I think we're a startup. So it's not even like we set out to create a startup it just kind of happened that way and we've learned so much along the way so if anyone ever thinks about starting a business I always just say just start you never know what it's going to become just you know start
2: yeah you basically saw a problem and you tried to fix it because you couldn't find the, the solution any the so you decided to take it into your own hands and I can see the sports analogy with a hockey stick reference. <laughs> Only sports analogy. <laughs> Everything's <Right>. sports.
1: <laughs> so back to the question. First of all, how how easy was it to transition from the physical coupons to like co-digital? You know, like could you give us like one of the main things you've learned from that from that process as well?
0: Yeah, I mean at Fansaves, our mission is to eliminate paper coupons from professional sports and beyond. So For us, it was actually a really big relief. So, you know, when we were first testing fan saves, we were working for that minor professional hockey team plus another one in the same league. So we had two teams that we were able to, you know, validate with sponsors, validate with the team. And a lot of businesses were like, wow, okay, I'm not going to put a coupon in the game day program anymore. This works better. The other big thing that we do is like in-game activations. So for one of the teams that we worked for, Little Caesars is a pizza place. They had an in-game activation where if the team got three goals, got a hat trick, then everyone that was there that night would get this little orange coupon that would say, you get a free crazy bread, bring it in and you get a free crazy bread. It was so hard to manage because we'd have to have all the staff and interns handing these out. You would find them on the floor, you would find them in the garbage. One time there was someone from Little Caesars there and they're like, oh, these are all on the floor. Like This isn't what it's supposed to be like. And for us, it was like embarrassing. So not only did it take a lot of time, but we had to print, we had to design and distribute those coupons. So really transitioning over to digital and with the teams that we do that for now, They've even said it takes them, you know, something that used to take them sometimes an hour now takes them less than a minute. So for us, it's, it's a really great digital solution that we're helping teams do or use on top of helping them to generate more sponsorship revenue.
1: It's, it's interesting that you mentioned littering part because, and that's how much it has changed since like in the past 20 years because i can remember at university in tilburg that there was a running joke that it was just waste of print because people would flyer like people would be standing in front of the library and we had like the a, a library that you had to walk up the stairs go from bridge, and then you go into the library it was kind of a running joke that you would walk in and then people in front of the steps would hand you flyers And he would walk with the flyers, and the first thing you'd do when you enter the library was put them straight in the bin. And I can imagine for any company to be like, hey, I'm spending money, even if it's just a small coupon, I'm spending money on print. And basically, 60% of it, it goes straight into the trash. So there has to be a more effective way. I've never looked. I, I, I rarely look at digitalization from a, from a perspective of a cleaner environment, but this actually makes a lot of sense as well.
0: The other but, thing, the other thing going back yeah. to that is when a company prints a coupon and it goes out in a flyer or it goes out in the mail or gets handed out on a campus, that is printed and that's not going to change. Like what fansaves is really like, you know, excited about is. The that business can change their deal at any time. They can add a deal. They don't have to worry about, you know, getting it printed and everything like that. So it not only makes, you know, for a cleaner planet, but it also for the business, it gives them more opportunities. And again, allows them to track that those demographics that a paper coupon never could.
1: Because how? Okay. So, so for, for non tech people and for people just generally interested. So. To quickly give us a scope, how how does the system work?
0: Yeah, so we like to think of FanSaves as Instagram meets Groupon, but for sports teams and different organizations that use sponsorship and advertising. So the fan thinks of FanSaves as their favorite team's digital coupon book. So the way FanSaves really works is we're creating a network. Fans can follow whoever and as many teams and organizations as they're a fan of. They may not even be a sports fan. There's other organizations like Chambers of Commerce or universities and colleges, tourism, anything like that, and that people can follow. So you follow it just like on Instagram or Facebook. Once you follow that fan page, then you get access to discounts and deals from their sponsors, their advertisers, their partners. And then, you know, the public deals are available to anyone. It's free to use. You scroll through the deal. When you're at, say, a restaurant or a business, you simply press redeem on your phone, show your cashier or server. They, they apply that deal to your bill and like you're done. So, you know, on top of everything else we've talked about, it's really that network, you know, being able to know who those sponsors are and support them. 90% of fans can't name more than five of their favorite team sponsors. So. Sponsors are paying millions of dollars in some cases, and fans do not know who they are. So Fancy at at its core allows fans to understand who their sponsors are, who the sponsors of their favorite teams are, and support them.
2: It's interesting to hear you describe that and listening to you now, you just mentioned, you know, Instagram meets Groupon. I can tell you've had a lot of pitching experience and had to, you know, really break it down into concise things that people would understand real quickly so coming back to your explanation of you know at first you are a small business you've been through that process and then you started fancy six months in epiphany like oh i think we're a startup and then you go through this different journey you know of looking for investors so what was that like from going to you know running a business and actually building a startup and finding investors like What was the the first investor meeting like?
0: (laughs) Well, I think, you know, from the very beginning, we were building a startup. We just didn't know it. We were like, we were just building a a business. We just didn't really understand that it was a startup. So for us, we've actually really bootstrapped fan saves from the beginning. We've definitely, you know, we've raised what we call a pre-seed round, but really we've strategically not taken too much money from investors because we've been able to really rely on government grants, loans, different pitch competition wins. We have been really, really scrappy and we've hustled really hard to keep our cap table really clean. So for us, we do have, you know, an amazing family office that invested in us, but that was just at the end of 2021. So, you know, we did a small convertible note back in 2018, friends and family who wanted to support us, but Again, we've been very, very scrappy and, you know, that's, that's, it bodes well for us now because we now have room for a bigger investment now that our, our valuation is higher.
2: So, Is that would you consider that the average startup in Canada? Like how, how does that compare? Yeah. Like how, how would you describe startup startups in Canada compared to something like more mainstream like California or New York?
0: Yeah. I mean, there are some amazing like investment stories in Canada. Canada is really known as more of a conservative investor type of country. There are some amazing investors that are less conservative. But when you think of something like Silicon Valley or somewhere like Silicon Valley, where they're, you know, throwing money at an idea, they don't even have an MVP yet, but they're throwing millions of dollars at it. Oftentimes, being a Canadian startup, you can look at that, and there's been times in our journey when it's been discouraging because we're like, we have product market fit, we have validation, we have a product, we have paying customers. Why aren't you investing in us? So, for us, again, we, there were times when it was really discouraging. You know, you hear no a lot when you're raising investment. They say usually for every 100 no's, you get a yes. And I can confirm that that's pretty much true. But they always say every no is, actually one one step closer to yes so for us like we've kind of done it non-traditional we like i said scrappy is the name of the game for fan saves maybe it comes with being like two athletes because chris played pro hockey for seven years too so i don't know if that's part of it but i would say like you know i i know a lot of canadian founders who have raised a lot of money i also know a lot that have a lot of trouble not just in canada in the u.s too You know, you always see those headlines, those stories of company XYZ raised, you know, a million, two million, million, 10 million, 100 million. Those are the headlines you see. But most startup founders across North America I know, like have a lot of trouble fundraising and even more so if they're women.
1: Okay, so I have to ask the question, has Shark Tank ever been a consideration or not?
0: So really funny story, Shark Tank, before it, came to the US, Canada had a version called Dragon's Den that actually existed before Shark Tank and had Kevin O'Leary. So Mr. Wonderful, Robert Herjavec was on it. A lot of those like sharks that you see now started in Canada on Dragon's Den. Funny story, I was actually on season two of Dragon's Den, not for my own business. I signed up for like a modeling gig. I was in university and I literally held a sign. Had no clue what the show was at the time because it was only filming for the second season and I was so confused because it was like this dungeon like Dragon's Den and I learned so much doing that and the, the guy was great he didn't get investment and then since then we've actually we did audition another time right before COVID so that kind of changed you know changed a few things for us so at this point definitely open to being on Dragon's Den which is Canadian obviously Canada's version of Shark Tank because you know, we know a lot of people that have been on it, and it's really great for publicity. So yeah, that's my take on Shark so, Okay, so I've been on it. So it's
1: actually a, a good strategy, and that's so that's the first thing I was wondering: is that kind of strategy, good strategy? Because you mentioned you've done a lot of pictures, and also you don't want all investments. There are certain investments that you value more than others. But I I do want to quickly jump in before I go in like another sports-related question. You mentioned COVID and. I imagine COVID changed a lot. How, how, how much of it changed was it? Like, of course, the, the, the sports world was heavily impacted. I think from my perception, the sponsors actually benefited from it in, in some, some way, maybe. But how was, how was COVID different and has it completely recovered or gotten better since COVID is kind of on a downhill slope?
0: Yeah, definitely. The, the pandemic could have broken fan saves very easily, but we kind of had that never say die attitude. So for us, we actually had been living in San Diego. We had planned, you know, to travel for 2020 and, you know, grow. And then obviously our plans got changed. We ended up obviously back in Canada. And for us, our first like, oh no moment was when the NBA shut down. And we were like, okay. so 2019, the year before, was our first kind of like sales year. It was the first year we had that like revenue coming in and we were expecting 2020 to be, you know, this great year. Fast forward to 2021, where in Canada, everything was still closed. Like we were effective for pretty much two full years. And 2022 last year ended up really being our breakthrough year it ended up being that year that we thought 2020 would would be. But it was actually better for us because the pandemic showed all these teams that they have to think digital. They have to be being innovative and especially with all of their other aspects of their game day changing to digital, like digital couponing, digital concessions, everything like that has now become more widely accepted, not just by the team, but by the fan. So, COVID was actually really like a blessing in disguise for fansaves. We were able to capitalize on that and be able to go back to a a lot of teams where before the pandemic, they're like, no, no, like we're not really adopting new technology. To now, they have full-blown like teams that are really eager. So for us, especially when the pandemic hit, the teams were affected, the sponsors were affected because they were all closed down. Businesses were all closed. They had no extra budget. They had no extra money. And then the fans, they were all stuck at home. They weren't shopping. So we actually did a fan sales helps gift certificate program just to stay relevant. We helped over 630 businesses across Canada. Chris and I didn't take any money from it. We were able to kind of have that philanthropic arm and give back to our country. And in the meantime, it kept us relevant. It kept our brand on, you know, at the top of people's minds. So again, a little bit of a non-traditional divergence, but it really helped us in the end.
2: Yeah, basically COVID did that a lot with basically tech companies and going digital especially. And it gave you guys more room to, you know, prepare polish the, the product Definitely. and basically the customers the fans were being primed already through that whole process like once once things open up again hey we're here for you and I think that was a pretty good move to stay relevant because you know it, it wasn't necessarily sponsorship and deals but those gift cards kind of hovered around in people's heads but this this brings me to a question like you guys started in 2017 2019 it's when you first had uh, things rolling like, in like what does it feel like like what what did you and your partner experience during that process of you know building trying to validate without getting any revenue and how did you keep that afloat you know you told us you scrap things around but like in a mental state in a resilient state how did you guys keep each other pushing forward
0: yeah like we always say we're super resilient like again going back to like a hockey reference or like sports in general but like you get knocked down in sports, you don't just like stay down, you get back up and you try to score a goal, right? So for us, like, even when we talk about being non-technical co-founders, we launched the first version of our app, our MVP in February of 2018, and quickly realized it wasn't sellable, quickly realized like, it just, it was good to show like an MVP. But and val and continue validating, but we didn't feel comfortable charging teams for it. It needed a lot of work. So what we did instead is we. Re- and
2: what was that you guys self re- realizing that it wasn't sellable? Like yeah, like
0: we realized it when we were like, okay, this isn't really what we wanted, and this isn't really like gonna be- like it was. It was still the the idea was there, but the technology just hadn't really caught up, and. So what we did instead was we just started pitching. We really entered like the pitch circuit and we got on as many stages as we could. And we told our story and we talked about our product and we we heard so much validation. We won some pitch competitions. We just heard people saying, oh, wow, this makes a lot of sense. So from there, again, getting some grants from the government, doing a small friends and family round. We were able to launch kind of our version one a year later in February, 2019. And with that product, then we felt more comfortable selling it and then paying and having, you know, paying customers. And we found that people were starting to, to actually buy it. And then since then, it's obviously grown and changed a ton and it's still always evolving.
2: Yeah. Oftentimes when you hear pitch competition, you know, you, you have the winners, they win something either win a grand and that's one competition and a lot of the times you know the idea of the startup it just gets put in the fridge or it dies down or you get dispute within the team and you guys went on many competitions won a few of them so that gave you guys more like feedback that it's, it's actually needed right so would you say that being having to stand in in front of so many stages kind of benefited you? One, in not just selling the product, getting the validation. So what would you say to someone starting a business, getting a, or, you know, wanting to do a startup? What would they have to, to, you know, if you had removed all the mistakes you made, and simplified it into a formula for them, what would it be?
0: Yeah, I think really, I said it earlier, like just start. I always say that whenever I, you know, I love talking to new founders, talking to people with ideas. So many people have amazing ideas, but then they never actually take it to the next level. And they never actually know how successful it could have been. And then I also talk a lot about sharing your story and sharing your journey. That's been a big part of our success. You know, not just sharing the win, which, you know, we always do, but also being vulnerable and, you know, showing people that it's not always easy. And like, you know, oftentimes they we use this term a lot in the startup world, but people see a successful business and we say that's a ten 10 year overnight success. People What's eat.
2: one of the failures or missteps? That you love to share.
0: Oh my god! Like going back to development, like that's the biggest not mistake, but definitely misstep. I would say like the money we spent on developing an unsellable product, and then even a product that was sellable but needed fixes. Definitely, the technical element of fansaves has been always has always kind of been the thorn in in our side, whereas the marketing has always come natural to us. So sharing our story, sharing our brand. But like we had to be like mosquitoes. (laughs) We had to be a lot of people starting out, starting their business. They're scared to put themselves out there. They're scared to fail. They're scared to put an idea out there that might not be successful. And they're scared to hear no. So for us, while we had all those mistakes, we said, let's just go for it. Let's just put ourselves out there, put everything on the line. And fortunately, it paid off.
1: So I do want to jump into a particular question because, so for us, our community, for instance, in Suriname, we have like 600,000 population. So just over half a million. And we have over a million active mobile phone connections. So you can imagine that comes down roughly down to 1.5 mobile phones per person, which is insane, but it, it makes total sense. It's one for your private life, one for your work. So as you have two phones or two separate SIM cards, it's... It's it's pretty usual, especially we go on the internet a lot here as well. So I think two-thirds of, of all web traffic is mobile at the moment. And I think on platforms like Facebook, 99% of the people use their mobile to go on Facebook. But still, there isn't a really big mobile app market here. I've always said like, yeah, here's the thing. Then I have to delete. I have storage issues with my phone and then I have to delete an app that I don't use the most. So I do I'm I'm really and you don't have to like give company secrets away, but just when you compare the downloads to the app and people actively actively using the app versus the online version, which is basically the website, but a mobile friendly website, how has how has it developed for you guys? Are you seeing more and more traffic going towards the mobile app? more traffic towards the website and how how is that kind of impacting the way you make decisions in the future as well
0: i love that question it's a really it's a really good one so going back to the pandemic that's when we actually decided okay we need a a web app so up until then we only had a mobile app so ios android and we realized it was really hard again to convert that way so so just like going back to the start of that question, creating our web app was like the best thing we ever could do. And if we could ever go back in time, going back to Diego's question, like about a mistake we made, we didn't even know like that we could do a web app at that point. But we definitely would have built a web app way before developing a mobile app, because it's just so much easier to make changes on the fly. It's so much easier to just test and be agile with a web app. Whereas a mobile app is a lot harder to go through production and to go through, you know, the Apple Store verification and Google Play Store. So for us, really putting, putting our web app out was a game changer. And since then, we really pushed most of our traffic through our web app, because we embed into team websites, into team apps. And that's what team like teams like. So for us, it's not only great for fans, but it helps our our bottom line. It helps like our revenue increase because teams, a lot of teams at the beginning were like, you need to white label, you need to white label. Do you have an API? Do you have an SDK? And we were like, no, because that would take away that network effect. So for us, we did a simple HTML embed and it's really changed the trajectory of our company being able to tell teams, look, fansaves can still live in your digital assets. You can still push people there, but we're not white labeling in that like in that sense. So, yeah, I mean, again, just going back to your question, the web app changed everything. QR codes we can use that bring people right to the web app. We still push the mobile app. We still get downloads without even like re- trying <laughs> because we really focus most of our attention on getting those conversions on the web app.
2: Yeah, basically removing the friction for one, the logistics side for, for the teams. And like Shanduk said, I like contemplate if I have to download a new app. Just from from a personal it's, side. It's like.
1: one of the biggest misconceptions. Just because we use our mobile phones that much, that it's one of the main misconceptions. Like, oh, I need to have a mobile app. Yeah, a really dedicated app for this. And, <laughs> yeah, and, I mean, I, I've struggled with it as well. So that's why, of course, I asked the question. So it's interesting that you mentioned that. I do quickly, I know this is completely off topic now where we are because we're talking about the tech side of, of, of fancy, but I... Something is stuck in my head because you mentioned something really interesting. Like we often don't know the five sponsors, the five main, the biggest sponsors of our local teams, especially like we're a soccer, a football driven country. So of course, the main sponsors that we always know are the ones that are on the shirts, like the shirt sponsor. It's like the main one. You You have a sports marketing background. So from your perspective what are the the best when it comes to you being a company and sponsoring a local sports team what's the best exposure from game day perspective
0: So it's funny because some teams and some events come to FanSaves and they're like hey you want to sponsor and we're like no that's not how our business works Yeah like <laughs> actually we don't want to just give teams money and like have Okay. You have a one time payment from us. We want to work with teams and say, use our platform to make a lot of money from a lot of different sponsors. So for us, a lot of our, a lot. So every single team we partner with, we work hand in hand with their marketing team and they actually promote fan saves for us. So we don't have to have that spend. It's almost like an in kind where they're promoting fan saves because if it's successful to them, then then it's there's more data, more fans, everything like that. So, but going back to your question, I mean, it's <laughs> it's hard for me because again, I've sold every type of sponsorship.
1: But just give us three where you're like these three. Okay. I feel like are really things that they grab people's attention and it's kind of stays stuck in in people's in people's brain because of the of the visibility of of the brand.
0: So that's so. It's, it's hard for me to even say that because when I am selling fan saves or talking about fan saves, I always say when someone goes to a game, they're remembering who won, they're remembering who lost, how much they drank, how much fun they had. No one, that sponsorship is oversaturated. Like sponsorship assets that you see at a sports game are oversaturated. Our research study that we did where I give you that, you know, fan, like diehard fans that watch games every single day or week are not remembering who these sponsors are on the boards, on the wall, on the field, on the scoreboard. So like, it's really hard to say, of course, like when I was selling sponsorship, I would always want to sell a scoreboard ad. That's easy. It doesn't cost me anything. I'd want to sell a digital package, a social media shout out wall sign that for a team, a wall sign is like harder because it's like, you have to make sure it's made. You have to make sure that it's created. So again, sponsorship is wonderful. That the, a lot of sponsors for many years have been very complacent and they almost sponsor these teams because it's, it makes them feel good. A lot of sponsors know that there is no direct conversion coming from that sponsorship. That is like overall. That is the problem that we're trying to solve because team because sponsors are just saying, well, I'm Ours yeah. is just
1: above the line. It's only awareness, 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 awareness. Because I, so, I I no, was it, about to ask, this yeah.
2: sounds maybe counter the business, but as it is Sony as said, it is oversaturated, then the plain question is what's the point of sponsorship aside from that feel good?
1: No, it's the feel good. It's the CSR part, but also it, I think for now it's mainly awareness. If I'm just going to be on, definitely. And the the reason why I ask this, so for our national team, we're having a big discussion at the moment because we've actually had an offer from Nike become the brand that we that our nation would wear Nike, and of course we don't know the the details to the deals. And eventually, our football association went with the uh, existing part brand partner for the shirts and like the especially the brand and marketing people in in our group are going like come on you don't understand the benefits to having like the swoosh on your national team's logo like even if you have to pay more you're gonna make the money back but, and, and these are kind of the conversations. And of course, the reason I asked it is because, like, I don't know who the current shirt sponsor is, like you mentioned, for a lot of teams, like Premier League teams. You could ask me and I could tell you a sponsor maybe two or three years ago. It used to be easy. The, the shirt sponsors used to be sponsorship for five, ten years. But now it's like changing every year. And and that's why I asked the question. So I was trying to figure out if I'm like a sports marketeer, aside from the digital aspect, like where would my biggest offline leverage be when I wanted to get exposure for, for a sports team?
0: Fan save, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, like exactly what you're saying, just going back to that. Definitely exposure is great. Like, you know, brand awareness is key. It keeps, keeps your brand top of mind. That's why these major brands are sponsoring, you know, the, the naming rights of the arena. Like that, keep that brand awareness there and relevant, but at the core of sponsorship and what we're trying to change in people's minds and businesses' minds and in sponsorship, sponsors' mind is how does it convert? Because at the end of the day, if you're spending- Especially
1: a- for local businesses, right? Like for smaller companies and- Victor- that actually need- To have return of investment on their sponsorship
0: yeah for sure but it almost i would i would argue if a a major a major sponsor like nike was spending a million dollars they don't want to lose money on that and they're used to it like they're used to it they're like okay well not saying they always lose money on it but again it's not crafting that true conversion nielsen ratings can tell you yeah a million people saw your brand that's great a million people OK, but did a million people go and buy Nike running shoes like that conversion is what's missing in sponsorship and what there's lots of sports that companies that are doing similar things, because, again, with now that we're in this digital age and it's possible that conversion has to be evident and has to be seen by these sponsors, because, again, if if Nike is sponsoring one team. And they're not getting any conversion, but they're getting it from a different team who's doing a better job letting their family yeah, go spend money. Then they're going to move. Like at the end of the day, it's all dollars and cents. We might say, oh, this feels good. Oh, this is nice. Sponsorship, sports, business is all money at the end of the day.
1: And how many of the... So I I'm, let's, let's take an example. I'm not saying this happens, but it could happen. Say you have like this new team comes in, they're excited, a couple of their sponsors decide to join Fancy. So one of the things with digital is it's the first time you can actually track everything, which means there can be some disappointment as well. So like, how do you coach like teams that like, they're like, okay, I'm going to get this much sales. And then it just, for whatever reason, maybe people just don't find the deal interesting. For instance, for whatever reason, the deal doesn't get the traction that they thought it would. And of course, then the blame game starts like, yeah. It's it's you you as a team are not putting enough effort to get people to fan saves. It's like no, you as a sponsor are not giving an interesting enough deal. So how do yeah. you kind of deal with situations where like there's like a perception like oh this is really sales wise going to blow up, but then the reality hits and for whatever reason the sales don't take off as much as people thought they would.
0: Yeah, I love that question, and that's something you know at fan saves we're always dealing with. We always want to make sure that. You know, we wish every deal could could be a killer deal. But for us, we've really, you know, again, we're a B2B SaaS company, but we really focus on that service. So that customer service that goes beyond just being a tech platform and a platform for deals. So we have like really intense onboarding sessions, not intense, but like we have very in-depth, let's say, uh, onboarding sessions with our team. And then every time a sponsor comes on, we are helping there. We're at this point in our business, we have to be very careful and make sure that we're holding everyone's hand and making sure they understand this. So for us, we also do biweekly calls where we get on calls with these teams and find out what's working, what's not working. We we are always trying to be learning because you're absolutely absolutely right. If if a deal isn't performing and it's not getting that re- those redemptions, the dad is not coming in. They might have a harder time renewing. So, again, with FanSaves, a lot of teams are using it as that value add. So they're getting those traditional sponsorships, and FanSaves is coming in as that like closer. But we, as FanSaves has grown and we've got more partners, and we have you know nearly seventy partners now. We have like over twelve hundred deals. We've learned a lot and. We've had, like, we've had to actually not renew partners who don't meet a minimum threshold. So if we have had a partner in the past, we, they were great early champions. They validated for us, but they were a very small team. They had one or two people in the front office selling sponsorship. They didn't really have the, the adoption. We've had to make that hard decision to say, thank you so much for supporting us, but it's not going to work for your team at this point. So we've had to make that minimum threshold. Because we need a sponsorship team that has those connections in that in that community, we need a marketing team that's going to put that out there and do well. And then, of course, the the business, oftentimes, if they send a deal and it's not a great deal, our team will talk to them and say, "Hey, you're probably not going to get any redemptions on this. We can try this for two weeks, but after that, let's try something else." So we're always monitoring that. We our team is amazing. We're we're a full time team of eight. We keep our finger on the pulse. We see what's working. We see what's not. And it's it's definitely, like you said, it's a tricky game of balance.
1: I have to give a compliment to Canadian companies in general because I do feel like on the customer service and reaching outside, you always overachieve compared to other countries. I think it's, I don't know if it's a Canadian thing or not, but when I, I really noticed that that's something that They will, you will call, like, it doesn't matter where in the world you will, you will make sure there's a call to discuss things. And I, I think people like different countries, especially with different national cultures can really learn. It's, it's scary sometimes because like our culture is like, who's calling? We don't want (laughs) to pick up the phone. But from the other side, it really creates a situation where you feel like you're being served and there's, there's actually you as a customer really being appreciated. And that's something I've noticed about Canadian companies. So I just want to give that compliment to, to you and your fellow countrymen.
0: That's so nice. Awesome. I love that.
2: <laughs> no, that that's a great place to kind of close it off. But as we wind down, John, look, I think we can do maybe two quick over-unders. So Shannon, we have a recurring segment on our show, overrated or underrated. And we're going to uh, throw a topic at you. And you just tell us quickly if you find it overrated or underrated. Okay. I don't need to deliberate too much on it. So uh, you want me to go first, Shandu?
1: Yeah, because I'm my head's spinning. I have so many options to pick out of. So
2: go ahead. Go first. All right. Based on your recent achievements, being under a 40 under 40 list, overrated or underrated?
0: Ooh, underrated. It's so cool to like, I will always pinch myself being on a 40 under 40 list.
1: <laughs> uh, digital sports trading cards.
0: Overrated. For sure.
2: <laughs> right. One more for me. Writing a book, overrated or underrated?
0: Underrated. I am going to write a book one day. I've always wanted to. Definitely far from overrated. I... I'm so pumped to write my book. I'm telling you right now it's gonna happen.
1: <laughs> oh wow, Diego, what a what a silent nudge towards me. <laughs> I'm gonna go a different route. Learning French. Overrated or underrated.
0: Well, I can speak French. I'll say overrated. Maybe Spanish is cooler. I don't know. <laughs> I can speak French, so
1: <laughs> oh, that actually for the fact that you speak French, you're saying like Spanish is cooler. We've had a lot of Latin American guests recently. And the thing for us is we're a, a Caribbean country located in South America, but we barter to France. So actually for us, French is really useful, but still the appeal of Spanish, there's an appeal there, which makes it kind of feel like it's it's not, but it feels like the second language of the world. So. That's why that's why I asked the question at all. Well, for, for me, make, I even have a French name. So it's really weird that I don't speak French.
0: <laughs> I love it.
2: Awesome. We then said one thing's left for you to do, Shannon. Tell us what you, what's in store for you in the next few months and where can people find you and learn more about you?
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, Fansaves was just one of 10 companies that was accepted into the Comcast NBC Universal Sports Tech Accelerator out of like over 900 applicants. So again, we're still pinching ourselves on that side too. With that comes amazing opportunities to work directly with some of their par- their huge partners. And so that's really going to be a big focus of ours. The 2023 is shaping up to be our biggest year yet. And if anyone would like to reach out, please connect with me on LinkedIn. Search me, connect with me. If I can help anyone, I, I love to, to give back to the business community. You can find me on Instagram, Danberg 12 and Twitter at TikTok. <laughs> but yeah, whatever social media platform you prefer, definitely connect with me. Follow Fansaves. We also have a ton of socials. And then fansaves.com. Check it out. See what it's like. Even if you're not in, you know, North America right now, we do plan to be a global company. So hopefully we'll be in a community near yours in the near future.
2: We are looking forward to that. And thanks again, Shannon, for being here with us, sharing your story. And we'll put the links in the show notes description as well. And it's great to see and hear that even after all these years, you're still pitching, you're still applying for programs. And that just goes to show the resilience that you need as a founder, as a business owner, and especially one in underrepresented communities. Thanks again, Uh, Sean Look, Any final thoughts? And then it goes off.
1: Well, this was another awesome episode. Shannon, thank you so much for joining in. As you all know, this episode will go live on a website and all this and all forms, all streaming platforms in the next month. Diego will specify that during the next announcements. But again, this was another episode of Social Confos, and we hope to see you back next time. Next week, same place, same time. Bye-bye.